The following For the City sermon is from our sermon series by Pastor Scott Rising entitled Feast for Failures from the book of Luke. We hope you enjoy it. All right, let's get at it. Hey, so we're going to continue in the gospel of Luke, right? We've titled this sermon series A Feast for Failures, right? Why? Because we're all failures at the end of the day when it comes to the law and we do not measure up. Jesus has measured up for us and we need much grace. If you remember last week's sermon, and if you weren't here for that, that's okay. I'll give you a, a little recap. It was called The Happy God. And we looked at what made Jesus rejoice. And what made Jesus rejoice primarily was the desire of his Father, the will of his Father. And so listen to what he said. He said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and of earth, that you have hidden these things, these spiritual truths, the plan of salvation, from the wise and understanding and have revealed them, shown them to little children. And he doesn't mean little infants. He means spiritual infants. Those who are the least of these. They are the lame. They're the weak. He says, yes, Father, for this was such your gracious will. Okay. And now we get the, the story of the, 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 the Good Samaritan. And a lot of times we think, well, okay, enter a new scene, enter a new story. It's obviously detached. I'm going to say it's not detached at all. Because the next two, let's say, stories or account that come into to Luke or a picture of this will being unfolded. The, the, the lawyer, the, the Bible scholar that we're going to look at today is an example of the wise and the, the understanding. He can't understand. He doesn't see. And then next week, we get Mary and Martha, and they're a picture of, let's call them the little children who have been given eyes to see. Because in that culture at that time, women were not valued. They didn't study. They were in the kitchen, which is where Martha is. But Mary's right at the feet of Jesus. And these women are disciples of Christ. And, and they can see. But the scholar, the one who gives all his time, he, he can't see. So in this parable, the, the Good Samaritan, which Alexis just read, the Good Samaritan's moved with compassion, right? Which led him to action. Okay, he saw the, the real need of a real human and he engaged and he had compassion on him, which inconvenienced him financially with his time. And he was committed to helping this person in a very tangible way. Right now, after that, Jesus says to the Bible lawyer, he says, now you go and do likewise. Now, notice, though, it wasn't the Samaritan. It was the Samaritan, right? Not the religious leader who was able to help the person in need. Simple enough, right? Simple enough. Yes and no. Last evening, Alexis, we were all together listening to a great concert, and she comes up to me and she goes, I'm going to read the, the Good Samaritan tomorrow, but i got to tell you, it's really bothered me. And I'm like, good. I said, tell me about that. You don't mind, right? Yeah, she goes, well, because it just seems so just moralistic. It's just so moralistic. It's just like, where's the gospel? It, essentially, that's what she was saying. Where is the good news in this story? It's just like, love everyone, love God, don't mess up, and there you have life. And actually, I would say that that's how most people read this text. And if you're understanding it the way she's understanding it, you're saying, but that's not good news. And I would say that's the heart of it. So let's get at it. Look at verse 25. And behold, <laughs> a lawyer stood up to put him to the test. Notice those words. Saying, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Now, now this seems like a great question, right? 
It is a great question. I mean, if you've got a little bit of time with Jesus, you don't want to waste it by asking like trivial questions like, hey, how do you think the Steelers are going to do? And some of you are like, oh, that's not trivial. It's trivial, right? Like, how about the, pet, the pirates? How are they going to finish up? What's your favorite food? I mean, seafood, right? Like lamb, what is it? He, he doesn't waste any of his time discussing that. He goes right to the question of eternal life. Fantastic. All right, good. But I got to tell you, his, his apparent concern is probably not a real concern. And why I say that, his main concern is actually putting Jesus to the test. He wants to trip him up, right? Why? Because he's a hater. This guy, he's not a fan of Jesus, right? And, and so he seeks to critique his ministry. This dude has the right question, but he has the wrong motive. And Jesus, you, you can't trick him. He can see and understand your heart. You may not see and understand your heart, but he does. But Jesus works with it, right? And so this guy asked the question about it. No doubt, he probably thought Jesus had a low view of the law. And he said, so, hey, tell us. Tell us all how we get this thing eternal life. Now, this guy knows the answer, right? And so Jesus, look what he does. So Jesus said to him, verse 26, well, what's written in the law? How do you read it? Oh, that's a good move, by the way. If you're ever in a situation where you're like, someone's putting me to the test, don't answer it. Just ask the question back. You can apply that to the rest of your life. You're welcome. That's free, not part of the notes. <laughs> How do you read it? Essentially saying, okay, Mr. Smarty Pants, you're a Bible scholar, right? You're the expert of the law. You tell me. And so now this guy's ready. Look what he says. He says, well, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind. Notice those words, all, 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 all. And your neighbor as yourself. Winner, winner, chicken dinner, essentially, right? Because essentially what he's doing, that's a combination of Deuteronomy and Leviticus. He's saying this is the great commandment. He's summarizing 700 commandments of the law. And he's saying, here you go, Jesus. What do you think? And Jesus says to him, You've answered correctly. Good job. Do this, and you will live. Okay. This is where Alexis is like, ah, right? And everyone else should be, right? The, the lawyer, he gave the right answer. Which, by the way, side note, you can give the right answer on theology and not understand or know Jesus. Satan understands theology better than you do. Think about that. So don't ever equate head knowledge for heart worship. Jesus will rebuke the, the Pharisees later on. He'll say, listen, you worship me with your lips, meaning outwardly, but your heart is far from me. Your worship is worthless. Whew. You never want to hear Jesus say that to you, right? So to, to this credit, he gives a good answer. But see, here's the thing. Jesus wasn't interested in, in pointing out the imperative to love one's neighbor. That's not his aim here. He wanted to show the impossibility of loving one's neighbor and loving God 100% all the time, every day, every moment, all, 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 all. Get it. I mean, Jesus is not teaching salvation by roadside assistance when he gets to this. When he gets to this parable, he wants to crush the man's self-righteousness. And you're going to see that as we continue. He wants to expose his need for a savior. He wants to show the law is not the way to life. You can't do it. And this man's like, 
Okay, and at this point, by the way, the lawyer right now ought to throw in the white towel. He ought to tap out. I know that's a mixing of metaphors. But like, at that moment, he ought to say, uh, Jesus, I, I can't do that. I've tried my whole life. I know that's what's expected, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, strength. But I, I can't do it. I've tried to love my neighbor as myself 100% of the time. And, and I've done all right. I've done all right, but I've not done it perfectly. If he was understanding, he would say that. He, he spent his whole life trying to do this, and he can't do it. And, and let's be serious. Can you? This is not a trick question. Thank you. She's like, no, you can't. I mean, no one has cleared the bar of wholehearted devotion to Jesus, wholehearted love for your neighbor. I mean, total soul surrender. You hear these words, right? You know, complete strength, absolute submission to King Jesus. Those words belong to Jesus. Not, no one here is totally, 100% of the time, committed, submitted, loving Jesus with all your heart, mind, soul, strength, and your neighbor as yourself. And if you're thinking, oh, I am, keep listening. You're not. But he doesn't throw in the towel. He's beaten and he's bloodied, but he throws a wild swing and a miss at the next thing he says. Look at verse 29. But he, listen, notice these words. Desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? <laughs> what he's saying, I think I can do this. Is it, is it the city block? Is it just the people on Sydney Street? Is it the city of Greensburg? Is it the world? Who's my neighbor? That punch never had a chance of landing. And instead of humbling himself, the religious leader continues, listen, to justify himself. You have to get that. If you don't get that, you'll not get the parable. You'll not understand the good Samaritan. He's asking the worst follow-up question ever. Who's my neighbor, Jesus? It's, it's terrible. This dude is looking for like a theological loophole. Who's my neighbor? By the way, this is what all religious slaves do. They just look for God to lower the bar. Great on a curve. I'm a pretty good guy. I'm a pretty good girl. Just great on a curve. And, and listen, even if God did that, it wouldn't work. Let's pretend for a moment that I'm the lawyer. And, and Jesus is talking to me and he says, okay, Scott, your neighbors just Jess, your wife, and your daughter, Sarah. That's still not good news to me. Because I don't love them all the time like I love myself. I mean, I love myself whew, too much. It's still not good news. I fail. I fail. I would never measure up 100% of the time, and neither would you. Neither would you. But he goes on. I mean, essentially, the teacher should have said this. Teacher, Jesus, how can someone who has royally messed up, failed over and over again to perfectly love God, to perfectly love neighbor, gain eternal life? Boy, if he had asked that, if he had just put his hands down, if he had surrendered and asked that question, there's no doubt that Jesus would have responded with good news. Telling him, listen, I haven't come for the righteous. I've come for sinners I've come for six sinners. I've come to save people just like you who don't measure up. i got great news for you, my friend. Follow me. But that ain't what he wants. 
He wants to justify himself. In this moment, I'm mixing a lot of, bo- I don't know why boxing's in this thing, by the way. I called it knockout, like Mike Tyson's knockout. But like, he should have been like on the movie Rocky and said, cut me, Mick. But he didn't. And, and so he, kept, he just kept fighting. And Jesus, though, he's such a good, he's such a good cut man. So many times for us to be able to receive the grace of God, we've got to be cut to the core. And so he just keeps doing it. See, his teacher is blinded by his prideful sin. And he didn't want Jesus to justify him. He wanted to justify himself. He wanted to be the hero of his story. He wanted to be right with God on his own merits. And the only way to come close is to lower the standard. And we said that doesn't even work. By the way, listen, every works-based righteous religion which so many people do, they tag Jesus onto it, but they're still religious to the core, must lower God's standard to a place where you think you can overcome that hurdle. But it doesn't work. The bar is perfection. It's perfection. Be perfect like your Father in heaven's perfect. Well, none of us are perfect. This should have crushed him. But he said, tell me how to do it. So Jesus got a little story, and that's the Good Samaritan. Look at verse 30 through 37 with me. So he's, remember, he's saying, I want to justify myself. Now, he didn't actually say that. Luke just cues us in on it. And so he says, so who's my neighbor? And Jesus goes, I'll tell you who your neighbor is. He doesn't just give him a little GPS coordinates. He tells a story. It's a parable. He says, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. By the way, this is a dangerous 72-mile route that descends from 3,400 feet above sea level to below 800 feet below sea level, right? 72 miles. And as soon as he would have said that, everybody would have cringed because it's a very dangerous road, right? So I've been like, well, he's walking through the hill district at 2 a.m. in the middle of summer. <sighs> uh, we know how this ends, right? So that, that's, you got to get that. They would have gasped. And he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, by chance, a priest was going down that road. Whew, good, awesome, he'll help, surely, right? And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to that place, saw him pass by on the other side. By the way, before we all start saying, oh, that's right, religious guys, this is you and I, by the way. They, They could have thought it was a trap. Right? Maybe this guy's faking it. Maybe they thought he was dead. They were religiously clean. They're just like, I'm just going to go on the other side of the street. I hope the best for that fella. But a Samaritan, I can't go over all these things again, a hated man in the Jewish community. A hated people in the Jewish community. Religious, social, racial tensions. Hated man. Remember, just last chapter... James and John were praying that God would throw Rotar out of heaven and burn the city of Samaria up. Yeah, that's those people. Okay. As he journeyed, came to where he was, and and when he saw him, oh, don't miss that, he had compassion. He went to him, and he bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, right? Healing, cleaning, Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii. And and he gave them to the innkeeper saying, take care of him. 
And whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. He said, Jesus says, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? Great question. And the Bible scholar, he can't even say the Samaritan. The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said, you go and do likewise. <laughs> Who's my neighbor? Jesus said, I know, you're probably thinking your friends. Because it's easy to love those who you love and who love what you love. How about go love your most hated person? That's your neighbor. <laughs> this is a grenade he just dropped. I imagine it was very quiet in that moment. So, for all my friends like Alexis, if you grew up in church, you've probably heard something like this. You should be like the Good Samaritan. Heard that? A lot of heads going, yep, 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 yep. Well, I hope you can see how that misses the point of the story. I'm not saying it's not there. We'll get there. Some of you are a little nervous now. The Good Samaritan is not a story primarily about loving your neighbor. Now, there's going to be people who argue with me here. I'll be available after the service, but let's be kind to one another. But we've got to stick to the context. The context in this parable is there's a lawyer, a seminary professor, who's asking a teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What must I do? I want to justify myself. What must I do? Here's what you must do. Be perfect. He should say, I, I can't. Because he can't, and you can't, and I can't. See, what you really need to understand about the Good Samaritan is it's really bad news. It's horrible news if this is what we must do to live and have eternal life. Why? Because if loving your neighbor as yourself has anything to do with eternal life, it's clear that you and I, the priest, the Levite, the lawyer, the religious types, everyone do not have eternal life. Why? Because you and I don't love perfectly. We don't love perfectly. It's not even close. How low must the bar get? Love your wife perfectly. I try. I think I'm a really good husband. But I don't love her perfectly. L love your daughter perfectly. I try. I fail. I fail. Often. And the closer to proximity you are with someone, the more you fail. Right. Because you've got more time with them. Right? Some of you are like, I don't know, you love me pretty well. We hang out once a year. <laughs> but put me in the pressure cooker. Right? Let's talk about finances. Oh, face getting red, ears. I, I feel it. I might snap at you. I didn't want to do that. You fail. Don't make the mistake of thinking, okay, that's what i got to do. I'll go do it. You can't. We don't love perfectly. See, instead of telling this parable to help learn a moralistic lesson about being nice to people, Jesus is showing just how far off this lawyer, you and I, are from being like the Good Samaritan. We're not the Good Samaritan in the story. Yes, I am. No, you're not. You can't see if you think that. We're much more like the priest. We're much more like the Levite. We really are. See, Jesus' parable aims to destroy our pathetic efforts to justify ourselves. It's really what it aims to do. We all want to find a class of people who were like, oh no, I love, if they, boy, if they like the Steelers and MMA and bacon and barbecue and eggs fried in bacon grease and, and Pearl Jam's their favorite band, I could love them. 
Because it's easy to love them, but you wouldn't love them perfectly. He doesn't even go there. He says, actually, how about this? Go love the person you hate the most, like you love yourself. How much do I love myself? A bunch! I took a shower this morning. That was not just for you. I like a shower. Brushed my teeth. It wasn't just for you. I like brushing my teeth. I had coffee. I pampered myself a little bit, right? Put on something nice. You're like, well, it's nice for me. Hang out with me during the week. You'll see. I really like myself. I love Scott Rising. And you know who I love more than me? By my own strength? Nobody. Nobody. And you don't either. Moms come close. We'll give them a shot. Most good moms, right? This guy should have thrown in a towel. Why? Because he threw a major punch that should have dropped him. He's saying, the law says be perfect. How are you doing with that? I'm not. But he says, no, who's my neighbor? See, the law has many purposes, but in this sense right now, it's to annihilate you and say, I can't do it. I can't do it. That wasn't the only punch he threw, though, by the way. He snuck a little liver shot in. Why? Because when you look at the fact that he said a Samaritan, oh my goodness, they hated them. Jews hated the Samaritans, and Samaritans hated the Jews, right? He, listen, love them. And he's like, no way. Jesus is screaming to this man and to us, you don't have eternal life if that's how you're getting in. It's bad news. There's good news, but you've got to get the bad news. So this was not told so that we'd have a bar of go loving God and everyone around us perfectly so that we can earn eternal life. It's not what it's about. It's told so that we, it would expose our loveless hearts towards God and towards other people, apart from God's grace. That's what it's told to do. Do you want to know if you indeed get it? You'll move from being the priest and the Levite into the ditch, beaten and bloodied with only one chance, and that's someone come and rescue you. That's what the law does if it's having its full effect with you. I'm the guy, because of the law, that I'm crushed and I'm in the ditch and I need a good Samaritan. I need someone to come and rescue me. I need someone to come and help me. I'm dying here. If someone doesn't come, I'm going to die. That's what the law is to do. It's to crush you. In this sense, that's exactly what it's supposed to do. So, so we need to identify with the person laying in the ditch begging for mercy. Begging for compassion. But you're not even begging because you're half dead. You don't even know to beg. And Jesus comes. This parable is to leave us beaten, bloodied, lying in a ditch just like the man in the story. Why? Because we're the needy. We're the ones who are unable to do anything to help ourselves. We're the broken. We're the ones beat up by life. We're the one who we're robbed of all hope of saving ourselves if we understand this story. We're just needy and hurting. But then Jesus comes. 
Now, I don't think he told the story that he's the good Samaritan, but it's not untrue to say that he is the real, true, good Samaritan in this story. So many times people are like, I'm the good Samaritan in the story. <laughs> no, you're not. You're really not. You're clueless. You need help. We all do. That's not Luke's intent. But it is no less true that Jesus in this picture, in this parable, is a good Samaritan type. Right? He came to us while we were still sinners. Broken, beaten, ungodly, unable to save ourselves. He meets us when we're dead in our sin and in our trespasses. He fulfills the requirements of the law. He pays the price that we could never pay so that our wounds might be healed. He does it all. Unlike the priest, unlike the Levite, Jesus doesn't avoid us. Man, I love that. He comes for us. He not only crosses the street, he literally leaves heaven, comes to earth, puts on flesh, lives the life we couldn't live. He comes and gets into our mess. He gets his hands dirty and at a great cost, his life upon a cross to save people who could never save themselves. And in doing so, he, all who trust him, he heals your wounds, he covers your nakedness, he, he promises not only to help in that one time when you're in the ditch, but he pays, he just gives unlimited money to the inn and says, whatever more they incur, I got it covered. This one's on me. It's finished. We're going to bring him back to health. We're going to bring her back to health. In other words, ready? This should not be shocking to you. Salvation is a gift of God. It's not something you can earn. It's not something I can earn. It's something that must be received. By faith alone. Do you remember back in chapter 9 of Luke? Um, Jesus set his face towards Jerusalem, meaning he is dead set on going to die. Okay, remember that? So then why we, we have to read the rest of Luke through that lens. Why do I say that? Because if we understand that, if he's setting his face towards Jerusalem and he's committed to death, that's what he's going to do, and he's going to then triumphantly raise from the grave, defeating Satan, sin, and death, then he certainly is, is, is not saying you can have eternal life by being a sweetie pie to your neighbor. Right? He's certainly not saying that. He wouldn't go and die if it could be done. Why would he? The game didn't get changed in this story. Jesus lived the life you and I could never live. He loves the Father with his whole heart, soul, mind, strength, everything that he is. He loves his neighbor as himself. He, essentially, although it's hard for us to get, is loving the enemy, and the, the people that need love are actually hating him until he wins them over with his love. He is showing us we have no chance. Listen, family, salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. That's it. And there is no and. You want some math? I don't even like math. Levi likes math, and I'm thankful for people who like math. And I hope they get good jobs, and they build bridges, and it's all safe. But I don't care about math. But here's some math for you, right? Jesus plus anything in salvation equals nothing. Okay? Jesus plus Nothing equals everything. It's all him, and I need, or it's not. You don't have it. Yeah, but I want to do a little bit. You, you don't. 
You're just needy. You're beat up. You're bloody. You need salvation. One commentary writer says this. Grace comes to those who have no other alternative than to accept it. He is so low, he cannot help but receive it. This is why the the people that we're interacting with, that we want them to see the beauty of Christ, the number one thing you should be praying for for them is that they would be convicted of sin. Not that they would love Jesus even. (gasps) Because they'll never love Jesus if they don't think they need a Savior. And you will never need a Savior until you realize, I can't do it. And the only way that happens is the Holy Spirit of God convicts that human being of sin and need. That's it. Oh, but I hope they would have a comfortable life. I'll pray at times, Lord, crush them, whatever it takes, to a pulp, put them in a ditch. I do pray like this for people who don't know Jesus, till they can see they desperately need you. Whatever it takes, strip them to the core. Why? Because I'm way more concerned about their eternal salvation than I am the fact that they would be comfortable here till they go and die and spend eternity apart from God in a real place called hell. You'll never love Jesus if you're not convicted that you need desperately saved. So, so, what, so what is it? By the way, my concern for, for some who are even hearing this, maybe in this room or Uh, the people who might listen online, is that you still have a little bit of fight left in you. (laughs) That's my concern. You still think you you add to this thing. My my concern is you still got a little bit of religion that just needs to die. Just needs to be. And and even when I say this right now, you're you're upset with me. Talk to God. Because whatever that is, that pulse needs placed on the cross and driven a nail right through the heart of that evil thought. You and I cannot be saved apart from Jesus doing everything. Everything. So we got one point. Ready for it? The parable of the Good Samaritan teaches us that if you had life with God, you would love. But if like the religious self-justifiers of that day, you do not love, then you must not have eternal life. Now, this is where I get into the part of the parable of the Good Samaritan that most people start with. And that's, well, what do we do with this? First off, you rejoice that Jesus loves to save sinners. You praise his name. You enjoy him. You love him. You worship him. But can I tell you something else? Love for God produces love for people. You just got to get them right. You can't put that one first. You just got to get them right. See, don't get it twisted. Good deeds, love your neighbor. That's a good deed. Follow good news that's been received. But, listen, you cannot earn salvation by loving your neighbor. You get it? I mean, it really does matter. Tim Keller helps me greatly. I'm going to miss this man. Uh, He just went to be with the Lord. I can't wait to watch his funeral celebration service online. You should watch it too. Tim Keller helps here. He says, before you can give neighbor love, you need to receive it. Only if you see that you have been saved graciously by someone who owes you the opposite will you go out into the world looking to help absolutely anyone in need. See, once we understand that truth, family, then we can actually extend ourselves to love our neighbor. Physically, 
spiritually, there's many needs around us all over the place because a heart that's been touched by, let's call it demerited love. People say grace is unmerited love. It's actually worse than it. It's demerited. See, unmerited means you didn't do anything to, 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 to receive it. But we're demeriters. Like we punch God and he still loves us. It's not just unmerited. It's, it's, it's bad. Right? And yet he does that. And when you've been touched by that kind of love and you understand that kind of love, you will show love to absolutely anyone no matter what because none of us deserve that love. You want to see a church that is turned upside down on its head. You'll, you'll grasp the love of God. And guess what? You know what you all need to be praying right now is the same thing I pray daily. Lord, help me understand more fully the love that you have for me. Why? Because then I'll love. And, if you, and I'm going to tell you right now, if you just don't love people unless they love you the way you want to be loved, your problem is you don't even actually understand the great depth of love that God has for you. Because they grow in, in succession. The, I grow in love for God and understanding of what God's love for me, I grow in loving other people. They grow together. So you can't say, I love God this much, but the rest of this pawn scum in the world, especially if they vote differently than me, <laughs> burn them. You don't understand that you're even loved by God because it's not his posture towards you. There's, there's a saying that goes like this. We are justified by faith alone, but the faith that saves is never alone. I'm going to say it again. I really want you to get this. We are justified by faith alone, but the faith that saves is never alone. Essentially, saving faith is always an act of faith. It's always moving. It's always active. So, so what kind of works should we be doing is the question, right, that we should be asking ourselves. If you've experienced... The, 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 the love of God through trusting and believing in Jesus Christ through this good news, then here's a great starting point. Ready? It's going to be wild. You're like, I never saw this one coming. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Well, you just told us. No, no, no. Don't get it twisted. That's the fruit of salvation. It's not the root of salvation. And there's a big difference. We should be known by our love. Jesus says, you'll know my disciples by how they love one another. It's not how we're saved. It's just showing that's a saved person. How do I know? Because they love someone who has nothing to common with them at all. They just love perfectly. Nope, I got a Savior who loved me perfectly, though. So every time I fail. But we don't use it like that. Well, I don't have to worry about loving because Jesus loved me. You don't understand the gospel if that's your thinking. Grace not only pardons, but it empowers. It pardons your sin. As far as the east is to the west, God sees no more your sin. You're fully forgiven. Past, present, future, sin. But, but man, that kind of love empowers us to what? To get out there and just love. It, I mean, it really does. I mean, this is simple enough, right? This, this means that those who have received this kind of love ought to be transformed and you ought to know by their life and their lips. Not that you get it right. 100% of the time you don't. But let's, let's love our neighbors by, by demonstrating practical love. Practical love. Let's love our neighbors by declaring the only message that will save. See, so many times people just want to pit these two things against each other. 
Well, just love them and give them the gospel. Well, what if they need a sandwich too? Since when did social justice, which is actually just called loving your neighbor, compete with the gospel? Jesus fed people. He gave them real bread. He gave them true food. Right? That's what it means to be like Christ. Now, here's the thing, though. The reason most people say that is is because too many churches will make the mistake of saying this, right? And you may have said this. And if so, Jesus forgives you. So do I. But you should quit saying it. Preach the gospel at all times, and if necessary, use words. You may have said that. You may say, I like that now. Or how about this one? Let your life lead people to Jesus, which means you don't ever have to share news. Can I just tell you something? I get what people are trying to say here. I want to be kind, but it's not helpful. It's not helpful. What, why is it not helpful? Because the gospel, which is the good news, it's a message, requires words. You cannot preach. Faith comes by hearing, hearing the words of Christ. The gospel apart from words. Now, you, you might say, well, what if someone's deaf? Write it down. Give them a book. Put it in braille. But it still requires a message. It requires a message. You must speak good news to people. The gospel is an announcement. It's a message. It mean, the gospel means good news. It must be preached. This is why I see, you see so much vague, squishy, cushy, nice, vague Christianity nowadays. And you're like, whoa, you're really picking here. I am. People wearing, not so much anymore, but they used to wear these wristbands that always had some hashtag something, right? Or love a whale, hug a tree, right? And they, they always had these causes. And I would see Christians do this, and I'm not, oh, you're cool with that, that's good. Or a t-shirt that would point to the latest, greatest thing, right? Uh, Ukraine, everyone's forgot about that, still going on. But everybody had their little things changed on Facebook, Instagram, to say, I'm stand with Ukraine for 48 hours to the next thing that comes along. And, and we think this is like, oh, this is compassion, this is love. And everybody goes on there and they put the big old love thing up or a hand high five. Wow. So impressed. And everyone, like, right? You know what I'm talking about? And we say, I'm loving folks. Uh, I want to say this. That's not terrible in and of itself, but can I, just give me a name. Uh, Who? Who are you loving? Who? I I want a name. No, not really. You don't have to give me a name. The, The reason I say this is there's somebody in your life who needs to know the love of God, like, um, like everyone. But you got to know them. you, you got to know them. It's going to require real love. Well, why do I say that? Well, because let's not forget the Good Samaritan here. He f- helped a man in need. He allowed his schedule to get completely interrupted, Right? He rolled up his sleeves. He got his hands dirty. He opened up his pocketbook. He, he took initiative. This is, that's love. Our culture doesn't understand love in that way. We, we think primarily what? We think feelings. But love is not primarily feelings. It's not primarily like sentimentalism. Oh, I, I really love the folks of Ukraine. And you may. And you should pray for them. And you should love them. And you should do these things. But, but that's too easy. It's too distant. It's, it's, it doesn't cost you anything. 
in case you think I'm beating you up. It doesn't cost Scott Rising anything to love like that. To say I love like that. Who? Who? Who in your neighborhood? Who needs that love? Well, you did, and God gave it to you if you've seen and understood. But, but know this. Love is compassion that leads to action. That's what we see in the text. He saw him. He had compassion on him. He engaged. Now, it's going to mess up your hair. It's going to mess up your schedule. It's going to mess up your pocketbook. It's going to inconvenience you. It's okay. Who are you loving there? I just want to hang out with some clean people. People like me. People like Pearl Jam and Bacon and all these things. I just want to love people like Scott Rising because what? Because I love myself. Well, what about someone who's a little smelly? Someone who's not like you. Maybe they're not smelly. Maybe they smell great. Maybe they're rich and thinking that this is what life's all about. I, I don't know who your people are, but God has given you people to love like this. I promise you that. Yes. Will you, will you love them? So think of the gospel. Think of the good news of Jesus Christ. Where God's love willingly paid the highest price to save sinners like us. With the life of his son, willingly, Jesus said, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame that he might save for undeserved enemies like us in order to give them what? The greatest happiness for all of time, namely himself. So what are we doing when we say, let's go love this city with the love we received from Christ? What we're doing is we're introducing lost people to the happy God who loves them. That's what we're doing. I can't think of anything else I'd rather do with the rest of my life. Family, don't waste your life. Invest it in people. Invest it in people. Seek to love. But they might not love me back. It's okay. Hopefully they do. But you have a God in heaven who does. And he's with you. And he'll help you. And so by God's grace, let's go introduce people who need love to the God of all love. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the bad news of the Good Samaritan. But we thank you for the good news of Jesus Christ who comes to save those who are lying in a ditch with no hope of ever saving themselves. And we're thankful that you come and you grip us up and you pull us out of the ditch and you, you bind up our wounds, you throw us over the horse, you take us into a sanctuary, you, you heal us. You, you not only save us, but you, you bring healing. Healing of things that have happened in our past, things that we've done, things that we haven't done. You, you're a God of real compassion, real love. We have no hope of ever enjoying life, eternal life, apart from the fact that you, the one who has all life, you've done everything. Father, help us to see more of your love. Help us to drink more deeply from living water. 
Help us to, to have an eternal spring in our hearts that just well up and, and literally just go out into the people, into the lives of the people we come in contact with. Oh God, we ask you would reveal the happy God to the city of Greensburg. And, and what they would do is just come rejoicing to you. They'd come home and they would receive love and grace and mercy. Father, for anybody who's here and has been trying so desperately, so hard to be perfect and to love and to do this, to earn salvation, oh God, I pray you would lavish them with just abundant grace right now, knowing that you've done everything. And that you would just overwhelm them with the love of God, saying, I've got you, I've done it all. Trust me, believe in me. Love me, enjoy me, I've got you. And for those who are just thinking, I could never have done enough to ever earn my way, say, you got it, sis, you got it, son. Trust me, I've done it all. Father, we thank you that you are the God of all grace. You are the God of all love. Help us to be more like you, we ask in Christ's name, amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon. If you found it helpful, we encourage you to enjoy more of our sermons Find out more information about For the City or how to partner with us through prayer and giving at www.forthecity.church. For the City exists to magnify Jesus by making disciples who share and show the transforming power of the gospel and plant churches that multiply.